If you are headed to the Nats game tonight, we recommend swinging by Walters for a sloop and thin man brewing tap takeover. Representatives from both breweries will be offering tastes of their flagship brands. Cheers. Plenty of TVs at Walters. Check out their self-pour beer wall with tons of local draft options. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. One ball and two strikes. Now to set. Here's the pitch. Swing and a high drive. Deep right center field. Way back. Going. Going. And gone. Goodbye. Bang. Zoom goes Schwarber with a blast off the facing of section 242 and caroming back down below. A three run home run for Kyle Schwarber. He's driven in all the runs in the game. It's the Nationals for the Giants. Nothing. Ross and Avila in agreement. East to the belt. 3-2 pitch. Swung on. Hit in the air. Center field. Playable for Robles to his right. He's there and he makes the catch to retire the side. Eight shutout innings for Joe Ross who gets a standing ovation for the Nationals fans on the first base side as he hits the Nationals dugout. And welcome to Nats Chat for Monday, June 14th, 2021, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, it ends up being a four-game split for the Nats with the San Francisco Giants at Nationals Park, but in so many ways, the series ends up being so much more. It may have been the single best-pitched series in Nationals history, and what's so funny about that is is that it is a series in which Max Scherzer throws just a third of an inning and neither Steven Strasburg nor Patrick Corbin throw any innings. National starters and relievers in this series end up combining to allow two runs, one earned, in 33 innings. From that standpoint, you say, well, the Nats should have won more than the two games, but the Nats do get a couple of victories, including a 5-0 win on Sunday afternoon to get to 27-35. and on the year. Mark, it has been a very strange national season so far. This series may top the list in terms of bizarro series that we've seen so far this season. I hadn't even thought about that possibility. Is this the best pitched series in team history? And then you just gave the compelling argument for it. I mean, three runs allowed. One of those was the automatic runner in extra innings. So it doesn't really count against them. Maybe the NLCS against the Cardinals which it was like just one dominant pitching performance after the other. Obviously, the stakes were higher for that. But I mean, like you said, given who the names were involved, who started these four games? Well, Scherzer started one of them, but he really Paolo Espino started one game. Eric Fetty, Jeffrey Rodriguez, and Joe Ross. Those were the four who did it. 
Now, here's what I come away with, and I don't know the answer to this question. Maybe we'll find out over the coming weeks. Was this a great pitching performance by the Nationals, or was this an indication that the Giants lineup is really not good and that they somehow have climbed to the top of the NL West through pitching and defense and not through any offense of their own, and maybe they are about to come back to earth? I don't know. We will find out in the long run. That was not a very impressive offensive performance from the Giants, in my mind, over these last uh, three days, four games. Now, hey, hopefully they are legit, and then you can say this actually meant something for the Nationals. Whether it meant anything or not, it means something in the fact that they actually got these performances. They won a couple of games. They needed to win those. So, you know, if I'm Davey Martinez and the boys, I am very happy right now with the way this went and maybe actually feeling encouraged going into the next series. No doubt. Davey should be proud of the boys. I mean, the Giants came into the series with the best record in baseball, exit the series still as being the best team in the National League. I don't think the Giants are very good offensively. I do think their offense had a lot to do with the Nets pitching being as dominant as it ended up being. But still, this is a Giants team that for the most part plays very good defense, although didn't necessarily do that on Sunday. This is a Giants team that pitches very well, is excellent at inducing the ground ball. So to take two games from them in a four-game series is not a nothing accomplishment, especially when you were facing the Giants ace so far this season and Kevin Gaussman and another guy, Anthony DiSclefani, who's actually pitched pretty well so far this year. So I think that the Nats can certainly cling to some things in this series. And, you know, thinking bigger picture, we celebrated what Eric Fetty did on Saturday, and rightfully so. And here we have on Sunday, I think unequivocally, the best start in the career of Joe Ross. I don't even know how you argue against that. Joe Ross was outstanding in this game. We talked toward the end of our last installment of the Nats Chat podcast of, all right, Joe Ross is starting game four of this series. You know, raise your hand if you know what to expect. Nobody does. I don't think Joe Ross does. There's good Joe Ross. There's bad Joe Ross. Sometimes both appear in the same game. Well, this was Cy Young level Joe Ross on display on Sunday afternoon. Eight scoreless innings. I mean, what a job by Ross. Nine strikeouts versus five hits and no walks on 108 pitches. We were talking like, well, you know, hopefully Joe can go six innings. And even if he's not that good, Davey may have to push him to get to six innings because of the state of the bullpen. He gives you eight innings, eight shutout innings, nine Ks versus no walks. Just outstanding. That was legitimate. I don't care who he was facing. That was a legitimate big time start because of the no walks, because of the strikeouts, the pitch count, all that stuff. Uh, he had only completed eight innings two other times in his career, and he hadn't done it since 2017. That's pre-Tommy John. This is back when Joe was still the up-and-comer that we had high hopes for. Uh, and in each of those two times that he went eight innings, he gave up runs. So this is the most innings and without giving up a run that he's ever thrown. And uh, I absolutely think it was legitimate. I, you could see the ease with which he did it. You know, he didn't have to work hard at all. He even said that he felt fine if they needed him to come back and pitch the ninth. There was no need to do that in a 5 nothing game, but he, he felt like he could have done it physically if they needed him to. So, yeah, what a performance. And I just look at what he did on Sunday and what Eric Fetty did on Saturday as maybe a critical moment for this team, both in the short term and in the long term. You've lost Scherzer, at least you know for the moment. We'll talk about him and, and what might be going on with him. You know you're without Strasburg here for a little while, and Patrick Corbin has not been what he's supposed to be. We've talked about that ad nauseum. For the first time, maybe ever, we're talking about the number five starters, the guys who've been trying to be the number five starter for a long time, Fetty and Ross, stepping up when their team needed them to, delivering not just decent performances, but outstanding pitching performances to win them games, both in the short term and in the long term. They're going to need a lot more of that. If this team has any hope of turning it around this year, 
it's going to be behind the pitching. I think we know that, that the offense is all, it's just going to be there some days and other days it's not going to be there. They're going to have to do it with pitching and Fetty and Ross are both going to have to be a part of it because I think they're both going to be in the rotation for a while. I would say I'm still more bullish on Fetty just because he's been better and it kind of feels like with Ross, okay, he was great on Sunday. I don't think anyone would be stunned if he goes right back to struggling in his next outing. But with Joe Ross, it's important to remember 2015, 2016, this guy was a good starter and this guy was tracking toward being a mainstay in the Nationals rotation for years to come. And injury and ineffectiveness are what ended up derailing him. But it's not like this has completely come out of nowhere He's still in his 20s. I mean, it's not like this is someone who, you know, is kind of just holding on to a major league career. If he's one of these guys who, you know, like we talked about with Fetty on the last installment of the podcast, maybe it just takes a while for it to click. It's not unreasonable to say, well, maybe this guy could actually be a good starting pitcher for the Nationals for at least a few years to come here. He's got to be more consistent. I think we all get that. But when we see an outing like the one we see on Sunday, we see that a high level exists within Joe Ross. He is capable of going out there and doing a really good job, and he did a tremendous job on Sunday. I mean, that was a big spot, you know, game four of a series against the best team in the National League. You know, you're in this tricky spot right now with your bullpen, and, you you know, you hate to keep using it, and yet Davies had to use it continuously. You just put your best reliever this season on the 10-day injured list in Daniel Hudson, and Ross goes out there and over-delivers and gives you that gem that he provided on Sunday. I think this is one of the reasons why we're hard on Joe Ross is because it's like he's capable of it. You know, it's, it's like the student who you know can get A's, but all he does is get F's. It's like with Ross, it's like he's got this in him, and we certainly saw it on Sunday. Well, and the difference in this one compared to some of the previous ones is he avoided that one bad inning. How many of his starts has that really been it, including the last one? Against the Phillies, he was really good in that start, except for one just disaster of an inning. And that's why he doesn't just need to be consistent start to start, but he needs to be consistent inning to inning. And that's what made this one encouraging. He never put himself in a spot where he was in danger of things falling apart on him and the whole start collapsing on him. And that's the reason he was able to go eight innings. He didn't throw more than 18 pitches in any single inning. He avoided the long, drag-it-out inning that so often, even if he's pitching well, that very often forces him out of the game early because the pitch count gets up there. So that was it, that he can do that. And again, I agree with you. that That's why throughout all this, you say there is something there. We can all see there is something there. He just needs to put it all together, inning to inning, start to start, and, and maybe they will finally have something with him. And we mentioned nine strikeouts versus no walks. How about this? Of his 108 pitches, 72 were strikes. He literally had twice as many strikes as balls on Sunday. 72 strikes versus 36 balls. So awesome job by Joe Ross. Can't say enough about that. And then Sam Clay put the exclamation mark on the pitching for the Nationals in this four-game series. A perfect top of the ninth inning. So again, National starters and relievers combine in this series to give up two runs, one earned, in 33 innings. And again, Scherzer goes one third of an inning, no Strasburg, no Corbin, no Hudson. He's on the IL. I mean, it's just, it's what a weird year for the Nationals. And then you have a series like this against, oh, by the way, the best team in the National League this season. So go figure. And remember what they just had before this, two games against the American League's best team, the Rays, and they split that two game series. So they go three and three against the teams with the best records in the majors. We don't know if they are the best teams in the majors, but the two teams with the best records in the majors. And they easily could have won all six games, Al. Every single one of them was there for the taking. And that's why we keep saying, like, yeah, we see the signs. We know why this team, instinctively, you feel like it's just not going to be a good team, that they're not going to be able to bring it together. And yet, 
they have a chance to win almost every game if they just do one or two things differently. And so against high-level competition, they looked pretty good in the last week. And if they could just flip one of those games, you don't even have to win them all. You flip one of those games and you just went four and two against the Rays and the Giants. I think we have a very different outlook for this team right now. You do. Uh, There's no doubt about that. I think also you can flip this and say this. It says a lot and nothing good about the Nationals offense that the pitching in this series allowed again two runs, one earned in 33 innings, and you only won two games. That tells you everything you need to know about the Nationals offense this season. It was not good over the first three games of this series. The offense was, though, better in the Game 4 win on Sunday afternoon. Not great, but certainly good enough and certainly confident. Nats finished with five runs on 10 hits, including two homers and two doubles and four walks. Actually get multiple hits with runners in scoring position, two for eight in the game. And have we finally solved the puzzle, the mystery? That is, who truly should be the Nationals' leadoff batter? Kyle Schwarber serves as the Nationals' leadoff batter for the second time in the series on Sunday afternoon. Hits not one, but two Schwarbombs. Also draws a walk, a leadoff homer in the bottom of the first, a three-run homer on a 1-2 pitch with one out in the bottom of the second. He also drew a one-out seven-pitch walk in the bottom of the sixth inning. Schwarber served as the number one batter in games two and four in this series. He totaled three homers over those two games. He was a cleanup batter in games one and three. Uh, didn't have a hit in either of those games. It's a small sample, yes, but Kyle Schwarber as a leadoff man, we know Davey likes to sort of ride things as they work. Has this maybe become the thing for the year that maybe Schwarber deserves to get more reps here in that number one spot? I'm going to burst your bubble and say no. I don't oh! think it will be happening. I think there are going to be specific matchups that Davey feels like it makes sense against right-handers, particularly those with good fastballs. I think that's what he sees an opportunity to jump on a guy early on and do that. But I don't believe he views this as a long-term solution, but I don't know. I mean, with this lineup, nothing is a long-term solution. So if you do strike gold with something and it works, maybe you do stick with it. But I I don't think so. I think these were some calculated decisions for when to do it. And we may not see it, uh, you know, all the time. We may see it sometimes. I don't think we're going to see it all the time. And it was interesting talking to Schwarber about it afterwards He said when he first started doing it for the Cubs, he was awful at it, and he did not take the right approach at all. And at some point, he realized, just treat this like I do any other time. He's already a guy who works the count. like That's his natural inclination to try to draw walks, have long at-bats. So he felt like once he realized, hey, just act like I'm hitting wherever in the lineup, it's not that big a deal to be hitting a leadoff, that everything will be fine. And, you know, he's done it now. I mean, I think that's nine career leadoff homers for him in about 100 games that he's done it. But no, I, I don't think this is going to be happening all the time. Now, the second homer, the three-run homer, did you see where the pitch was? Yes, about 15 feet off the ground. <laughs> 4.19 feet officially, which is still really high. Uh, according to, to Sarah Langs of MLB.com, it's the highest pitch a national has ever hit for a home run since they started tracking this in 2008. That was kind of nuts where that pitch was. Schwarber laughed about it when, when I brought it up and he said, yeah, I, I watched it on the iPad and noticed where it was. And it was a little bit up there. But I think it does allow you to realize, no, not that you should be swinging at that pitch all the time, but it did tell him, okay, I can still get on top of a pitch at the top of the strike zone and still do damage on it. You don't have to just lay off every pitch you see at that position because that's where pitchers are going against him. He's been vulnerable to the high fastball. So he showed, at least in this one case, he can hit one that is way above the strike zone and hit it a long way. 
Yeah, ended up going a projected 426 feet per stat cast. The oh-so-rare three-run homer by the Nationals this season. I mean, so few of their homers have come with men on base, let alone, you know, three-run homers, two men on base. But you got one there from Schwarber. His other shot, a 407-foot blast per stat cast. Each homer going to right center field, which is kind of interesting as well. I mean, look, I've said in terms of the lineup, you know, Trey Turner won one, Soto two. I'm fine with that. Schwarber, though, is not just someone who all he does is hit homers. In his career, he's had some high on base percentage seasons. I mean, he had a 356 on base as recently as 2018, 339 on base in 2019. It's not nuts to say that he could be the leadoff batter. If this is just, though, a matchup thing, boy, Davey looks smart because the two times in which he deployed Schwarber in this way in this series ended up working out really well. So that's a good job by Davey Martinez if, in fact, this is, you know, matchup specific, game specific. That sort of thing. All right, so we have all had that dream. Tie game, bottom of the ninth, bases loaded. Well, on FanDuel Sportsbook, you get more than just one shot to swing for the fences. That's because FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free. You heard that right. New users get up to $1,000 back inside credit if your first bet doesn't win, and it only gets better from there. Once you have an account, you'll have access to same-game parlay insurance all season long, that's up to $25 back in side credit each day if your same-game parlay bet falls one leg short. This way, you can combine multiple baseball bets for an even bigger win. There's a reason that FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is simple to use. It's got great odds on all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same-game parlay and always-on promotions to let you get more action out of every game day. And when you win, FanDuel will pay you your winnings in as little as 24 hours. All you have to do is download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code CHAT to get in on the action. That's FanDuel Sportsbook, promo code CHAT. And games on Monday night include a battle of the top two teams in the American League, the Tampa Bay Rays at the Chicago White Sox. And how about the pitching matchup? Tyler Glasnow and his 257 ERA taking on Lance Lynn and his 123 ERA. The under certainly feels like the play. 21 plus and present Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, or West Virginia. First on my real money wager, only for risk-free bet. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site. Credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanal.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-9-WITH-IT, Indiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-GAMBLER, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia. Tennessee, 1-800-889-9789, or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? 
You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. 0-2 on its way, and it's poked in the air to shallow right center, falling. This is going to drop in for a hit. Gets by Yastrzemski, backed up by the center fielder Duggar. Josh Harrison has a four-hit game. Josh Harrison, he needed to have a good series, and he had himself a good series. It's really nice to see this. Harrison is an at-starting second baseman in games two, three, and four in the series. He, in the series, goes six for eight with three doubles, three singles, and a walk. And Harrison, a four-for-four game in this 5-0 win over the Giants on Sunday afternoon. A double and three singles. Had a two-out single, bottom of the first. One-out single on an 0-2 pitch, bottom of the third. Two-out first pitch double in the Nationals' one-run fifth and a one-out single on an 0-2 pitch in the bottom of the seventh. So multiple hits on Sunday for Harrison on 0-2 pitches. And he made a great defensive play, a diving backhanded stab and then uh, throw to first on a first pitch ground up by Buster Posey for the second out in the top of the fourth inning. You know, we've talked about Harrison Marcus kind of being emblematic of a guy who is being uh, asked to do more than he should be asked to do. He's an older player, a guy who was cut loose last summer, Nat Sinem. He's been overly productive, which has been nice, but, you know, he's never supposed to be an everyday guy this season. Got off to a great start, really cooled off, but really good series for Harrison and obviously a really good game on Sunday. Yeah, and so remember, he had a day off earlier in the week, and there was also the rain out. So he got a couple days to rest, and you wonder if that just rejuvenated him. Sometimes they need it, especially these veterans. We've talked about how much he's had to play more than he probably was expecting or they expected him to. So maybe he was rejuvenated. And I'll tell you what, in this game, he looked like he was having fun out there. He had the the pickoff attempt where he got hit in the head and he was down for a second. And you thought, oh, hope he's all right. And then he hops to his feet and he starts doing a little playful boxing with uh, Brandon Belt, the Giants' first baseman. So the crowd got a kick out of that. And then later on in the double, I don't know if this showed up on the broadcast. Did you see him high-stepping in the second base, like a little primetime Deion Sanders? He's got that in him. We know that, yeah. Yeah, so you could tell he was feeling it today. Uh, and, and you know, he enjoyed himself. And I think he is the kind of player who's probably at his best when he is having fun and expressing himself out there. So, yeah, nice weekend for him. He needed it. He was probably starting to press a little bit. And I'll tell you what, this is going to be a big week for him And Josh Bell, and I guess a lesser extent, Jordy Mercer, if he plays, they're facing the Pirates for the next three. And um, at least in Bell's case, certainly it's the first time facing them, his former team. I think there's going to be a lot of tension on them in that series. And you know they're going to want to put on a good show against their former team. Well, while we're talking about guys who delivered on Sunday, how about your guy, Starlin Castro, another ribby double. Back-to-back games for Castro with ribby doubles 
Uh, now, he did leave four men on base in the game, but big hit for Castro once again on Sunday afternoon. Two out RBI double, bottom of the fifth, was down in the count at one point, one, two. I saw you tweeted that maybe Castro thought he was in extra innings. Maybe maybe that's what you need to do is just hypnotize him and say, Starlin, it's the top of the 10th inning. There's an extra runner on second base. And just, you know, trick him into thinking that because he's been money recently with guys on second base. I mean, for whatever reason, that's when he's delivered. Man on second in a in a sudden death situation, he's gold. Double off the wall. This is what he does now. So, yeah, I don't know if they can convince him of that all the time, but that was nice to see. There were some other at-bats, especially in the first inning. First inning was another classic, you know, leadoff homer and then a chance to do more damage against the opposing pitcher, have a big inning, and he pops up, fouls out to the first baseman. It just, yeah, we've just seen it too many times. I don't know what else there is to say about that, but, hey, good for him. Came through in one big spot and delivered, and maybe there'll be more of that to come. All right. I do want to note some negatives offensively in this series. It was not a good series for the Nats' two best hitters, Trey Turner and Juan Soto. Turner in the series, three for 15 with three singles in the walk. He got picked off and caught stealing on Saturday. You know, we haven't harped on this a lot, in part because he's been really good this season, and there have been many other negatives to harp on, but Trey Turner's come back down to earth here these last few weeks. His OPS for the season has dropped by 125 points now since the start of games on May 21st from 933 all the way down to 808. I mean, his OPS is in danger of falling below 800. And then Juan Soto, man, I tell you, we think he's back, then he's not back, then we think he's back, then he's not back. Juan Soto in this series, one for 11 with a single and two walks, like right back to not hitting for power. He had that killer double play on Sunday afternoon, four six three double play with the bases loaded and one out in the bottom of the sixth. I mean, you know, what else do you want, right? Juan Soto batting with the bases juiced, fewer than two outs, and he grounds into another double play. It feels like he's done that so often this year. So uh, not a good four-game stretch here for Turner and Soto. No, and in Soto's case, I, mean, you, you, I hate to say it, but you felt like that situation, bases loaded, here we go, and you just thought, no, this is the worst-case scenario. You do not want the team and you do not want him up with the bases loaded. And that was exactly what we've seen from him too many times. Again, when he's hitting it the other way, he's hitting it in the air. When he's pulling it, it's on the ground. He must lead the league in ground balls to the second baseman right now. It's just a ton of them. He's got to get that figured out. They've got to get him going right. And Trey Turner quietly has really cooled off. He hasn't homered in a month. Remember at that point we were talking about him, he was on pace for 42 homers. He's now on pace for 26 he has really, really cooled off. And just watching him this weekend, I didn't think he was running as hard as he usually does. I didn't think he had as much energy to himself, even in the field, on the bases, everything about it. He looked like a guy who's worn down and tired to me. Now, he has not had a day off this year. Played in all 62 games. Last year, he played in 59 of 60. The year before that, he missed the six weeks with the, the injury when he uh, broke his finger. But then I believe he played every game after that, all the way through the World Series. And then the year before that, 2018, played all 162 games. So he's done it before. He's used to that kind of workload. But I don't know when the right time is, but there may be a day here that I think Davey says to him, hey, take a breather. It's okay. You're our guy. You're our shortstop. We love you. But for the long haul, maybe one day off wouldn't be the worst thing. He looks worn down to me right now. Well, I tell you what, Nats have an off day coming up on Thursday. It might not be the worst idea to not start Trey on Wednesday. He'll get two games off. I mean, you are facing a really bad team in the Pirates. You'd like to think the Nats could win this series, if not sweep this series, even if Trey doesn't play in all three games. So I don't know, maybe that's something Davey can work into the mix here. 
Also, Nats got way too little out of first base in this series. Josh Bell and Ryan Zimmerman over the four games go a combined one for 15 with a double, no walks, and four strikeouts. I know we've talked about this, but man, the Nats do not draw walks. And like, you know, guys who in theory should be drawing walks, right? Like your first baseman, that's an offensive position. No walks from these guys in this series. And, you know, Zimmerman has had a very good year, so I don't want to sit here and start bashing him. But Josh Bell's another guy who like, you know, you think he's heating up and he's doing better, but then, you know, he calms right back down. And it feels like we've had that here lately uh, with Bell. Zim has cooled off also. I mean, he's hit some of those home runs that were big, but outside of that, he isn't doing a whole lot. And he's still, you know, he'll hit a line drive to the center fielder. He did it twice in this game, and it just happens to be right at him. But he has not been, his on-base percentage, Zim's, has not been good all year. I mean, he really isn't walking. Now, some of that may be the pinch hitter my, uh, approach is be aggressive early in the count. First good pitch you see, go after it, so you're not really working the count. So maybe that's some of it for him. But, you know, that hasn't been a huge problem for him in his career. He's usually someone who knows how to, work the count and, and take a walk when the situation calls for it. And, um, you know, he started two in a row here, night game, day game. That We haven't seen that from him. So that may have been a sign both of how he's feeling physically, but also for the first time, Davey saying, you know what, Josh Bell doesn't have to start every day. And just because we're facing a righty on a day game after a night game doesn't mean that Zim can't get that, you know, start. Now, I, I think we'll see Bell again on Monday and still the majority of the time, but maybe that was a little bit of a glimpse of a different approach they could have there. I want to mention Victor Robles because we were down on him Saturday night and rightfully so. He had a good game. It's not a game that's going to show up a lot, you know, the stats wise. I thought he had a really good game. I loved his bunt in the second inning. It officially was scored as a sacrifice in E1. I thought he deserved a hit for it because he wasn't trying to move the runner over. He was trying to bunt for a hit and he put it down right in the right spot trying to get it past the pitcher, Cueto. Cueto got a glove on it, kind of tripped and they called an error on it. But I thought that was a great time to bunt good awareness and understanding. He singled in the fourth. He drew a walk in the sixth. He made what looked like a spectacular catch in center field, and it turned out the ball actually deflected off the wall just before it went in his glove. Still fantastic effort from him. I thought this was a really good game from Victor. He and Davey spoke before the game on Sunday. They discussed the base running play from the night before. Davey came out of that and said he was really encouraged at how Victor understood what he did wrong understood the situations. And I think you saw an example there. I know a lot of people were saying, hey, are they going to bench him on Sunday? That's not Davey's style in particular. And, and I think that's more of an old school style anyways, to bench a guy for that. It wasn't for lack of effort what he did Saturday. It was being overly aggressive and not knowing the situation. I think most younger managers and certainly Davey Martinez, their approach is talk it over, show some love to the guy, explain what he did wrong, and then put him back out there and give him a chance to redeem himself. And I know it didn't really impact the game, the outcome of the game, but I thought Victor Robles had a nice day. Yeah, I agree with you. And I thought that bunt, too, might have been another one of those plays in which the speed led to the error, you know, insofar as you want to say Cueto committed an error. But, you know, Cueto kind of looked like he was monitoring Robles as Cueto was trying to field the baseball because we know Robles can run. So that's one of those deals where it's like you don't get a hit, but that's almost like a hit because your speed induced the error, that sort of a thing. So it's good to see that from Victor Robles. And I think the issue we all have is that it's happened multiple times with these base running blunders. But yeah, no one has an issue with like him not trying. He certainly is back to being an elite defensive center fielder this season. That's been good to see. It's just, you know, can the offense finally turn the corner? And we're obviously still waiting on that. So Nationals get the four-game split with the high-level San Francisco Giants. Next up for the Nats are the very low-level Pittsburgh Pirates, a three-game series against the Pirates 
at Nationals Park. This is an odd 11-game homestand. You got four games against the National League leading Giants, then four games against the National League East leading New York Mets, but sandwiched in between there, three games against the Drek of the NL, the Pirates. Pirates have the second worst record in the NL, the worst run differential in the NL. Monday night game one, 705, John Lester starting. Tuesday night, 705, Patrick Corbin starting. And then Wednesday afternoon, 405, that would be Max Scherzer's turn in the rotation. I know we spoke to you guys on Sunday. Where do we stand with Scherzer and the groin ailment that caused him to throw just 12 pitches and record just one out on Friday night? We are going to find out Monday for sure how he's doing. So here's what happened on uh, Sunday. He went out there, loosened himself up, played catch for a little while in the outfield. Didn't fully extend himself. He wasn't you know, throwing at full velocity, anything like that. Just kind of testing it out. I was down there. Thankfully, I was allowed to be on the field and watching that with my own eyes. And, and you could see that he wasn't going all out on it. So that's that's one sign of maybe him being a little tentative. Then he came over, he spoke with me and, and Chelsea James at the Washington Post and essentially said the key is going to be Monday if he can throw a bullpen session. If he can do that and feel like he's not favoring the groin and he's not worried that really pushing off it's going to make things any worse, then he can start Wednesday. But if he cannot, then he admits he's going to have to go on the injured list. He thinks it'll be a short trip, probably missed us the one start, that's it. But he understands that this isn't something to try to force the issue on, that this is not a pitch through it kind of injury, as he described it, that the groin is really important for him to push off the mound. So if it means missing a start and making a very short stint on the IL, he's willing to do that. Just reading between the lines, knowing Max when he's dealt with things before, if he knows he's good to go, he'll just say, I'm good, and he'll just walk away. He won't even stop to talk to us. If he does stop to talk and he's kind of a little tentative about it, that leads me to believe that he has some doubts. Now, maybe it all comes together in the next 24 hours and he's able to uh, do the bullpen session, everything's good. But I sort of sense just from knowing him that he is somewhat tentative and that he's not totally confident that he's going to be good for Wednesday afternoon. Well, if he's going to miss a start, again, the Pirates are a team against which you can afford a Max Scherzer to miss a start. Now, the Nats probably shouldn't be overlooking anybody, but you know, you'd rather Max miss a game against the Pirates than a game against the Mets or the Braves or somebody like that. By the way, uh, just for those keeping score, so Max Scherzer got hurt on Friday night, has since spoken to reporters twice. When's the last time Steven Strasburg spoke to you guys? That would be his second to last start before going on the IL. So a little, little different personality there, a little different uh, relationship with the media there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, you mentioned being on the field. First series for which 100% capacity at Nationals Park was permitted since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. So the four attendances are in. Game one on Friday night, 18,029. Game two, which was game one of the doubleheader Saturday afternoon, 16,425. Game three, game two of the doubleheader, the Saturday night game, 24,066. And then game four, the shutout victory for the Nats on Sunday afternoon, 21,569. There certainly seemed to be energy in the ballpark, especially Saturday night. And you know, I think in a lot of ways on Sunday afternoon it was really cool. I thought for the Friday night game, Ron Rivera throwing out the ceremonial first pitch, Davey Martinez catching Ron. The two actually have a relationship because each guy was an athlete in Chicago in the mid to late eighties. Davey playing for the Cubs, Rivera playing for the Bears. It was really good to see fans back in the ballpark. You know, we've talked about what the attendance figures might be. I think it's early to pass judgment on that kind of a thing. But you've got some healthy crowds, especially on Saturday and Sunday. But you were there, Mark. Uh, what were your impressions of the first series for which, again, 100% capacity was permitted at Nats Park since the pandemic started? Saturday night was a good crowd, like a legitimately good crowd. And I was surprised that it was only 24 because looking at it from up in the press box, it felt like 
more than that. And maybe there's still pockets of, you know, empty rows within sections. But I mean, basically every section in the ballpark had, you know, a good number of fans. There weren't large, empty areas. So beyond that, it was just a really energetic crowd. I think Saturday night crowds are usually some of the best anyways, but it just felt like that was the scoreless game going to extra innings. And they kept waiting. They were pleading with the home team. You felt like if the Nats had just scored one run at some point, they were going to explode and go nuts for them. And it didn't happen until it was too late. That was a very good crowd. Sunday was a solid crowd. You know, Sunday afternoons, a little different environment, often uh, more families, maybe not quite as rowdy. If Not that Nats fans ever get that rowdy other than the one night that the streaker came on the field. But you can see it getting there. Obviously, it's not there yet. It's going to take a little bit of time. It's going to probably require the team to get better in some respects. It's going to require the weather to be good. Remember, we dealt with rain the first half of the weekend. The opponents are going to matter. I think next weekend against the Mets will probably be a little more lively, probably a decent number of Mets fans, unfortunately. That will be the case because they're a first-place team right now. And I'm looking really forward to the July 4th weekend series with the Dodgers. My guess would be that that's the first series that we say, wow, this felt like back to pre-COVID times again. I don't know if they'll sell out, but you know, crowds well over 30,000, a lot of energy against a high-profile team holiday weekend. That's the weekend to me that I think will tell us a lot about how far we've come. Yeah, and the Nats have got to earn people coming to the ballpark too. Nats have not been a very good team this season, have not been a very exciting team so far this season. So a lot of the onus is on them to be better, to start piling up some wins, and to give the fans a reason to come out to the ballpark. Because during the pandemic, especially when sports were shut down, I mean, people found ways to occupy their time other than watching sports because you couldn't watch sports. So you do have to, I think, win back some people as well. I also saw this Saturday night. There was some video on social media of the Half Street Fairgrounds there, the bullpen. And that seemed crowded. seemed like a lot of people were out and enjoying themselves there. So it was good to see that. I mean, these visuals that we all took for granted forever, we're now cherishing off of what we all went through with the pandemic. All right. Well, we like to celebrate the uh, obvious things on the Nats Chat podcast, but also the maybe not so obvious things. We are in the midst of a very special anniversary, and that is the anniversary of the stare down that ended all stare downs. Frank Robinson versus Mike Sosha. Robinson during his time as Nationals manager, Sosha during his time as Angels manager. If someone is unaware of the personality of Frank Robinson, this story maybe captures that as well as any story you could ever tell. I know you were obviously covering the team, got to experience this in terms of covering the ball game. What do you remember about the infamous Robinson Sosha stare down that ended all stare downs? So there was a lot to this one. Uh, June 13th, 2005, in Anaheim, Nats and Angels. The Nats had just come off their remarkable 10 game winning streak on a homestand, 10 and 0 homestand that propelled them into first place. This is the inaugural season. RFK Stadium's rocking. All of a sudden, you're thinking, boy, this team may actually have something going, and they're starting to get some attention. Then they fly out west to face the Angels. They lost the first game, so the streak ended. And then in the second game of the series, the Angels bring in a reliever, Brendan Donnelly, late in the game. And all of a sudden, Frank comes out of the dugout, and he asks the umpires to check on Brendan Donnelly's glove. Now, this will be interesting to those of you who have been paying attention lately about what's going on in baseball. He knew from Jose Guillen, the Nationals right fielder who had previously been with the Angels and had been dumped by the Angels the previous year and clearly had an agenda against them, that Donnelly used pine tar in his glove. And he had the umpires check it out. They found it. They ejected him from the game. And that did not sit well with Mike Sosha, the Angels manager. Sosha went right up to Frank and essentially said, 
okay, fine. You're going to do that to our guys. We're going to undress every one of your pitchers now when they come in to the game. And he wound up doing that. I think it was Gary Majeski came in the next inning and they had the umpires look at his glove. Didn't find any pine tar, but they thought that the strings were too long. They made him cut the strings with scissors to make sure that his glove strings weren't too long. It got wild. The benches emptied. You had 70-year-old Frank Robinson, who, by the way, that morning had a touch-up LASIK procedure. And so this is a night game in Anaheim, and he's got an eye patch on one eye, and he's wearing wraparound sunglasses over them both at night so that you couldn't really see what was going on, okay? 70-year-old Frank Robinson going toe-to-toe with Mike Sosha, who's probably about 50, I think, at that time. It was a wild scene. After it all finally cleared out, the game continues, Jose Guillen ends up hitting a laser of a home run to give the Nats the lead. And there was so much emotion in that swing and his trip around the bases, given his history with them. Fast forward the next day, the series finale, they win that game one nothing after Chad Cordero loads the bases with nobody out in the ninth and then gets out of it to win the game one nothing. And in the clubhouse afterwards, Jose Guillen calls Mike Sosha a piece of garbage. Okay. Well, was that enough enough drama for you for a couple of days on on the first year of the Nats beat? And and Frank also uh, the night of the incident says talking about Mike Sochi says you know uh, I used to have a lot of respect for him, but I don't have any respect for him now. He thought he could intimidate me. No, I am the intimidator. Frank Robinson was the intimidator, and he wanted you to know it. Yeah, Frank was not shy about telling you how tough he was. And look, Frank's an all-time great player, so he has every right to believe the things he believes. The other thing, too, with Frank that stands out to me is this was not the only stare-down he ever was involved in, right? He had that stare-down with the umpire, Jim Wolf at one point where they were just eyeballing each other. So that, that was kind of a tactic, I guess, for Frank Robinson. And I'll say this, too, about those Mike Sosha Angels teams, especially of the early aughts. It's not shocking at all that Brendan Donnelly was cheating. The 2002 Angels team that won the World Series, that World Series is known as the Steroid World Series. And not just because Barry Bonds and the Giants were in that World Series. That Angels team of 2002, uh, we very much believe, was loaded with guys who were all kinds of roided up. So I don't think anyone's shocked that uh, Donnelly was engaging in that uh, with the Angels. But Frank was awesome. And I tell you, Mark, the, the Nats, you know, you think back to like the managers they've had, they've had some great players as managers. Like Robinson, obviously a Hall of Famer. Dusty Baker was a very good player. Matt Williams was a very good player. Davey Johnson was a very good player. Like I know a lot of times it's like sort of middling players who become managers, like backup catchers, those types of people. You have like four guys who had really good careers who ended up becoming managers for the Nationals. We've been really blessed. Uh, I know they haven't stuck around, most of them, until Davey now finally making it to a fourth season. But from a coverage standpoint, we've been blessed to have really good characters, really interesting people, really good people to deal with. Whatever you may have thought of them for their in-game strategy and their managerial decisions, let me just tell you, they were all really good men and good people that I and all everybody else who covers the team really enjoyed getting to cover and get to know on a daily basis. All right, we've been keeping an eye on the Nationals farm system, especially as we approach the 2021 MLB draft. You're probably, hopefully by now, familiar with Cade Cavalli and what he's been doing, which is killing it for the high Wilmington Blue Rocks. A seven-inning outing recently, no-hit baseball, 15 strikeouts. Cavalli's updated number seven starts on the year, ERA a 177, 71 strikeouts versus 12 walks. But he's not the only guy doing very well for the Nationals at the single-A level right now. Mitchell Parker is a starting pitcher for the Low A Fredericksburg Nationals. We have for you right now an update from the voice of the Fred Nats, Eric Bramer, on a guy who, you know, obviously isn't getting a ton of attention, but is perhaps someone to start tracking here. Mitchell Parker, Eric Bramer, gives us the latest. 
Hey everybody, this is Fredericksburg Nationals broadcaster Eric Bramer with an update on the Fred Nats from Salem, Virginia, where on Sunday the Fred Nats are wrapping up their series against the Salem Red Sox before returning home to take on the Lynchburg Hillcats beginning on Tuesday. The last time the Fred Nats were featured on the podcast, it was for finally securing their first win in team history after an 0-15 start. Since then, though, Fred Nats have played pretty good baseball. They're 11-9 since going 0-15, and they also have a 6-5 and five record in the month of June. The star of the pitching staff to this point in the season has been Mitchell Parker, the fifth-round selection of last year's draft out of San Jacinto Junior College. Parker leads the low A East with 55 strikeouts in 33 and a third innings, and he was named the league's pitcher of the week for the final week of May. He had back-to-back outings in which he took a no-hitter into and then through the sixth inning. He was just as sharp in Game 1 of Saturday's doubleheader against the Red Sox, tossing six scoreless innings and striking out five to earn his third professional win. One trend worth mentioning with the Fred Nats is the usage of their starting rotation. Heading into the season, I think a lot of us were wondering how the Nationals and other teams across the game would approach pitcher workload after the loss of development as we lost the 2020 minor league season. 35 games in, it looks like we have our answer, at least as it pertains to the Nationals and the low A level. There have been only 14 starts of at least six innings in the entire 12-team low A East so far this season, and the Fred Nats have seven of them. Three from Parker, three from Carlos Sejas, and one from Brian Pena. It's been rewarding to watch these starting pitchers allowed to go deep into the ballgame when they've pitched well enough to earn it. Our home games are back to 100% capacity at the brand new Fred Nats ballpark, and it's been great to see the positive reaction to the arrival of minor league baseball in the community. We've sold out 15 of our first 18 home games, and as we get deeper into June, we're looking forward to a fun summer of baseball in Fredericksburg. All right, thank you, Eric, for that. Mitchell Parker on the season, seven starts, ERA of 270. The more help, the better. The more the inventory, the better for the Nationals when it comes to pitching at the minor league level. All right, you tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter, at Nats underscore chat. You can email us at the Nats Chat Podcast. The email address, simple but effective, Nats Chat Podcast at gmail.com, including if you'd like to become a sponsor of the podcast. Nats Chat Podcast t-shirts remain available. You can get yours by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. That's natschatpodcast.square.site. A reminder, if you would, uh, to please subscribe to the podcast. Also, if you have like 30 seconds, uh, just give the podcast a five-star rating. and also write like a one-sentence review. These things don't cost you anything, but they help the podcast out a lot. So we certainly appreciate those of you who can do that. And we thank everyone for continuing to listen and download the Nats Chat Podcast. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Brendan Donnelly, and now they will check Donnelly's glove for an illegal substance. Yeah, Frank Robinson, he was out there before Donnelly even came in. And he was talking to the whole plate umpire, and he says, hey, look, ask some of your guys if you can't get together and go out there on the mound and you'll see... Donnelly, see what he's got going. Give him a little strip search. So they look like they're going to confiscate the glove. Or they're going to just take it and spy on it themselves. So they got a little umpire huddle going, and they're inspecting Donnelly's glove right now. We'll see this very often. 
talk about head games. That'll, that'll play head games with you. And that is where it begins with Frank Robinson because we have seen this in the past with Frank. And he was a skipper in his days with the Cleveland Indians. For 14 years, he has been a manager. Wants to get any single psychological edge that he can find. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. 